Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie, and we are coming to you from Times Square, Manhattan, New York, greatest city in the world. It I is. think it every time we come here. Yes, and thankfully we get to come here a lot. And I'm not just kissing New York's butt like a no. rock concert where I come out and go, Hello, Minneapolis! We love Minneapolis! No. No, we really love New York. New York. Yeah. Absolutely. We were here for New York Comic Con. And I have to say, I knew we were in the right hotel because I was looking out our window and what did I see at the building across the way? And I'm thinking maybe I'm having a Rorschach blot test, but I'm like, Marjorie, is that Princess Leia shooting at me out our window? Yeah, it was Princess Leia. It turned out our hotel is right next to the MTV offices and right across on our level is a giant standee of Princess Leia like you see at the party stores for about 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. And she's pointing her gun right at our window. And I don't think she's set for stun. No. Do you imagine that she's saying into the garbage chute, Flyboy? Possibly. Then we looked a little closer. She's standing next to a standee of Cartman. It was all very interesting. It was, yeah. And they're both standing in front of a Justin Timberlake poster from Sexy Back. So we had to go over and see exactly what is this outside our window. It's MTV. Yeah. MTV, Comedy Central. Viacom. Yeah. Viaduct. Mm -hmm. So we knew we were in the right place, and we went to New York Comic Con Thursday through Saturday, and... I have to say, there was a lot of talk online about this con. My word for it is oversold, and I mean that in both senses of the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was built up to be the East Coast equivalent of San Diego Comic-Con, and, well, I'm going to have to say no. Here's the thing, and I believe that San Diego Comic-Con has been around for so long that it's just so huge. Now, here they did sell out on Saturday, so it was a sellout crowd. So it was big in terms of attendance, Mm -hmm. but as far as the content to support that attendance or the infrastructure to support that attendance, I don't really see it, especially for Star Wars fans. There was a Star Wars presence larger than any con I've seen, though, that didn't have the Lucasfilm Pavilion that is had at San Diego Mm Comic-Con and celebrations. Here, there was a big thing for Star Wars The Old Republic. You had Del Rey, you had Hallmark, you had Hasbro. It really kind of felt San Diego Comic-Con-y there. Of course, you're like, well, 
Where's Gentle Giants? Always a staple with their mm -hmm. big displays and their giant Yodas. Sideshow, they choose to keep to themselves at San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> they don't mingle because they're so much more than just Star Wars, so they don't go to the pavilion. But it had a big feel there, but yet it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of there there. No, in fact, we did the entire show floor Thursday night during preview night, and that was only 4 to 7. We finished before 7, plenty of time, and we didn't get started until probably between sometime between 4.30 and 5. And that was a, us taking our time. We didn't hurry. We just walked down every aisle, looked at everything, and oh, we were done around 6.30. But when I say oversold in both meanings of the word, the, I'm glad we did the floor on Thursday night because Friday was a madhouse. We went back to a couple of the places where we'd seen things and wanted to go buy some stuff, and, man, it was elbow to elbow. It was San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday traffic, but not as many people. It mm -hmm. feels like the aisles were a little too narrow. There were bottlenecks. There was too well, they, much up front and not enough in back. They made some critical errors, I think, in floor planning. And because I have been to a few conventions in my life, but they put all of their big draws right inside the door. Well, I think that's because those are expensive booths and they want everybody's eyeballs. It's like I, I understand, but what, what happens is when you have the Hasbro Toy Shop booth, which one is going to have a huge line for the toys. It didn't. I know, but theoretically. And coupled with the Hasbro booth, which has photo ops and costumed characters right inside your door. That's the first booth you walk to. You're going to create a bottleneck because everyone wanted their picture taken with a Spider-Man. Everybody wanted their picture taken in the throne room. Everybody wanted their picture taken with a giant bumblebee they had there. Yeah, but I, they charge more because they're right there and they're getting more eyeballs. So it's an advertising thing. But they needed to then change how the entrances worked and have some kind of crowd control. At San Diego Comic-Con, it's practically the security guards are like stormtroopers. Move along, move along. Mm -hmm. You can't stand here, move along. So I said this on our other podcast, Marvelicious Toys. It feels like an adolescent that's growing before it gets coordinated. And I really think this con has a lot of potential. I really liked a lot of it, but as far as crowd management, as far as panel management getting in lines for the panels, how much lines there were. I don't think there was enough programming to support the people because every panel we got into, huge line, and of course some we didn't get into, but everybody was starved for entertainment, it felt. Mm -hmm. And some panels, I mean, when we went to one of our panels after it was a Hobbit panel and people were camping out for that Hobbit panel in a small room, things needed to be adjusted a little bit and javits is so huge of a center they could have used the space a little better yeah i agree i just i think that there was some planning that could have been done better and not create the bottlenecks they had one area where you could enter in two different ways in this like l-shaped lobby well what you had is people coming and going and then people just standing there so you really just couldn't get anywhere but let's get into the con itself you mentioned the hasbro booth and it was much smaller than San Diego Comic-Con, not as much on display. I was really shocked at how little was on display there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they only had maybe about eight cases, and usually they have a lot more, and they have a lot more usually jam-packed in the cases, but this was just kind of, uh. It felt very Spartan, and I looked there, and yeah, we did get to see some figures for the first time, but I think this is the impact when you've got Toy Fair in February... San Diego Comic-Con in July, and now New York Comic-Con in October, they just can't reveal enough to make the reveals feel 
really special. It just feels more like what used to come out of the Q&As than anything. We did go to their presentation, and there was some reveals there that were pretty cool. I'm sure that you've seen a lot of it online. Sadly, a lot of it was stuff that's already been seen. I mean, they're saying that there's going to be a new Clone Wars wave with shirtless Savage Press and Chewbacca on pegs in the new year. Well, I already have that wave. They did have, of course, the big news. Wedge and the Gamorrean Guard are both going to be shipping in the spring, which I thought I'd heard before. I know a lot of people were checking the pegs already because at Comic-Con they said we'll ship Wedge again, and people thought they meant, like, next week. Mm-hmm. But no, it'll be next spring. They will be getting Wedge and the Gamorrean back out there. Very focused on the movie Heroes line, which is replacing Saga Legends. And I'm so glad that at least they're replacing it with a line that has new sculpts, new types of figures, very kid-focused with a lot of electronics, mm-hmm. light-up features, sounds, an R2-D2 that says an obscene amount of things. 35 new phrases. I don't think he said that many in the movie. No, I really... I guess you can string together any kind of boop, boop, beep, beeps and make it a phrase. <laughs> See, that was boop, boop, beep, boop, not boop, 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 beep, boop. So that was an inside joke for you. I gotcha. We are getting a much better Dr. Evazon in the Vintage line. And in addition to all of that, the exclusive vehicles that have been in the Vintage packaging, they're really stretching that out. It looks like almost all of the vehicles now are going to be in the Vintage packaging, not just original trilogy ones. We saw the ATAP and the V19 in Vintage packages, which we got to all admit that looks better, right? Yes. But... It also feels really weird to see Clone Wars era vehicles on vintage packaging. Mm-hmm. It's it's not right. You know it. It's like a teenager putting on a flapper outfit. <laughs> they said there are still 19 figures in the vintage line unrevealed for 2012, three of which will be EU, three of which will be Clone Wars realistic figures, and one will be the fans' choice figures that you guys voted on and will be revealed later this month. So... Not a ton of three and three quarter inch collection news, though, that we didn't already know from their presentation at San Diego Comic-Con. And what they said at the end is, well, we have to keep some secrets for Toy Fair. It's like, didn't they say at Toy Fair they had to keep some for San Diego? Yeah, so this is just a vicious cycle. It is. And next year we're going to have celebration in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. What I found very interesting is they're going to have a line of Walmart exclusive figures around the time of Phantom Menace's release, and several of these are going to be figures that are already going to be coming out in other lines, but they have 3D packaging, which is something they're also extending to several of their battle packs, Mm -hmm. and they come with glasses, the figures, so you put the red and blue glasses. It's old school. Yeah, it is old school 3D where you get the red and blue. It's Jaws 3D type 3D. But Your parents 3D. You put the glasses on and the back is going to be somewhat 3D. But that means that on the peg backs, you know, when you're in a store and you're looking at a card bag, it looks like fuzzy junk. I guess you're going to have to carry a 3D glasses with you. I swear, and it's funny that they're coming with 3D glasses that you can't even take to see the Phantom Menace in 3D because it's not that technology. Maybe it's going to be, and it's going to be old school 3D. I was also surprised, I really thought that when they announced the Transformers mask that came with the 3D polarized lenses, I thought for sure 
that they'd be announcing some Star Wars ones, Darth Vader or Stormtrooper or maybe even Darth Maul, since they are making a Darth Maul roleplay mask mm-hmm. that would have polarized lenses in it to go see the movie in. But maybe the Transformers ones didn't sell very well. They are coming out with masks, but no 3D features. They also revealed something that would really excite Marjorie, I knew. Well, yeah, and here's the thing. If you're familiar with Marvel Squinkies, this is the Hasbro answer to Squinkies. They're called fighter pods, and they're smaller than Squinkies. I think they're about the same size, actually. No, they're not. No? I know my Squinkies. <laughs> but they come in these pods, and it's called fighter pod, but... And it's supposed to be a game that has no rules. It's like Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> no rules, just right. So you can play however you want. But they showed a video, and it's like you just not crap down with these balls. Well, I think they're, again, taken from Squinkies. And you said Marvel Squinkies. They also have Barbie Squinkies, My Little Pony Squinkies, Pixar Squinkies, Football Player Squinkies. And I remember seeing a display at Target for these Squinkies, and it said, like, battle and roll dice and things. And I'm like, how do you play this game? I think... That squinkies don't have rules, and that's how this is. The video shows people, basically, they described it like bowling, where you roll pods and try to knock characters down. And these are little squishy characters that are maybe a half inch tall. Yeah, maybe. When they're kind of cute and cuddly. Now, I talked to somebody at the Hasbro booth, and these are going to be due out early if next year. But given that some of the waves they say are early next year are actually already shipping, these could show up at any time. Yeah. They're going to start off as blind packaged packs, but then they're going to be releasing blister card packs that are at $20 and have all types of price points for these. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get a lot of doubling up, which is how the Squinkies do it. You can get the blind packaged Squinkies or buy a blister card with them. But what Hasbro is going to do is each line is going to have its own exclusives. So there's going to be blind packaged exclusives. There's going to be exclusives when you buy the blister card. So if you're buying the blind package to get the exclusive, you're going to get a ton of these fighter pods. And then when you get the blister card to get that exclusive, you're going to have a bunch of doubling up and so on. There's going to be 48 different characters in wave one with 130 characters planned for the first year. A huge amount. But let me tell you what happened with the squinkies with me. And it sounds like they're kind of doing the same kind of marketing plan is we found them blind packaged, and I was going crazy for them because I love things that are blind packaged because every single package is like Christmas because you don't know what you're going to get. Or it's like a box of chocolates, I suppose. I guess, but usually they have a little primer for the box of chocolate (laughs) that tells you which is which. Anyway, so they had later on blister packs, and only three of them were blind in that. So they came in like these little round balls where you can see all but three, but I knew what the set of 12 was, so it was okay. And that seems to be the kind of route they're going. So if you're interested in getting all of them, you might as well just wait for the blister pack. Except for the exclusives. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Hasbro's not going to do that the way Squinkies proper did. Now Squinkies they, proper? They're like faux Squinkies running Basically, around. yeah. I mean, Hasbro looks at what other companies are having success with and copies it. Yeah. Look at their new building blocks. I mean, Lego should be suing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They really should. Then you've got the fact that they killed Galactic Heroes to rip off the other kids' line of toys that's being done with Batman and Superman. So they're really playing Which is kind of ironic because other people are copying Galactic Heroes and Superhero Squad, and there's the cuddly horror movie line that's the same kind of squishy Mm -hmm. people. But 
you'll definitely want these. The good news is there's no chases. That's nice. They're going to be just out there. So, I mean, here's the thing. I begged to differ. I do a lot of blind package stuff. And they'll say, oh, there's no chase ones. Bull crap. It's just the luck of the draw. Really? Is it luck of the draw that ended up with like 12 teams of the Fantastic Four from a Marvel Frenzies? It is. Luck right. of the draw. Other people report the same thing. I love the fact that they're getting deep with this. They already showed in the booth Porkins. Yeah, what the hell? There's no Jar Jar, but there's Porkins? Give it time. We were just seeing the first wave. They are going to spread it out. Next year is the year of the Phantom Menace. You're going to get all the Jar Jar you want. Is Porkins like a huge fan favorite? No. That's what's great is they're going deep into the line. Wave one has Han and Carbonite for me. Wave am I, one. Am I going to get the little guy that drives a little machine, little transport thing and yes, battle the oven? Yes, you are. Because they are going deep, deep, deep with this. And we're, they're going to get primary characters. We already saw multiple versions of things like Chewbacca. And then you're yeah. going to get a lot of secondary characters, tertiary characters. It's going to be impressive for those who like this kind of thing. It's going to be like back in the days of the old CCG or the minis. We're going to be getting EU characters, I imagine. Because assuming the line continues... They're going to run out of movie characters real fast at 130 a year. Yeah. The other thing that excited me that I saw, titaniums are coming back. I know. I'm surprised. I love titaniums. I have always loved titaniums. I mourned their death. They're coming back in a different format that I don't know if it's going to work or not. They're going to be three packs, and they're going to be 20 bucks for three ships is the MSRP. So they've raised the price. They were around seven apiece when they died. Were they? Yeah. I guess because we kept finding them at, like, big lots. Yeah, but the prices had been inching, and when they were $5 vehicles, they were great. When they were $7 vehicles, it was, eh. So three for 20 is really a savings, a a dollar. So I'm really, really happy with that. The disappointing thing is, and I'm in New York recording this, so somebody in the forums, please correct me if I'm wrong. I have no doubt that you will. (laughs) But... It looks to me like the three that they showed, the three three packs, the nine ships, are all repacks of what they had before. They had the Sith Infiltrator, the MTT, the Naboo Starfighter, the ATTE, the Hailfire Droid, the Republic Gunship. I know I got all those. The Tri Droid, I know I have. The Turbo Tank, Anakin Starfighter. These all look exactly the same. They to do. Me. They only had one package of them in the case. So I couldn't tell if there's any minor paint redecos or if this is just honestly a complete pass for me because I opened my titaniums. And so if these are all repacks, I really want to support the line, but not by spending 60 bucks on stuff I don't need because I already own it. It's never stopped you before. This is true. And I love, love, love titaniums. I may be like, oh, I need another set for my desk at work. Maybe your niece needs some. I think you've actually got a set for your desk at work. <laughs> but Titanium's coming back is coming at the expense of another Hasbro line. Yes, but no, it's okay, though. It's okay for me, yeah. but I'm afraid some collectors out there, I did get word when I talked to one of the Hasbro guys, because he had some of the mini Transformers out there, and I kind of like the mini Transformers. You know, it seems to work a little better, and I don't know why. The lines aren't as thick. Yeah. So the ships look like ships instead of looking like puzzles that have been put together. Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, so how are the Transformers crossovers doing? Are you seeing a lot of good response at the small level? Is this something we're going to be continuing? Well, 
Transformers crossovers for Star Wars are going away as of next fall. So if you're like me where you're like, wow, $5 at TJ Maxx, that's still too expensive. Mm -hmm. You may want to start stocking up because these are going to go the way of Galactic Heroes and so many other lines. They're not going to be doing Transformers crossovers for Star Wars anymore. But give me titaniums over Transformers any day. Yeah, I know this made you really happy. Now, if you go to our forums, there's been people running down all of the figures revealed and shown. So check that out if you want a real detailed list. We're going to keep going and talking about other stuff at New York Comic Con. There was another Star Wars collecting panel hosted by Chris Spitali from Lucasfilm. He was there kind of as a proxy because General Giants and Sideshow and all those companies, I heard through the grapevine, they are looking at New York Comic Con, but they didn't want to commit this year. Mm -hmm. FX Collectibles. So... This year, it was Chris Pitali talking about all those companies, and then Robert from Kotobukiya was there as well. Yeah. Now, what was really, really funny, at least to Marjorie and I, is that for Gentle Giant and Sideshow, all they had were the videos yeah. that were well, shown at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, so it basically was, you got to see the Comic-Con videos, and then poor Chris Vitale at the end had to say, uh, obviously the booth number isn't right. They were not able to be here at this time. Yeah, because it says, stop by at booth 3217. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I love Gentle Giant's video because it reminds me of like this just frenetic, crazy video. It's just like <laughs> in your face with rock and roll. and It's yeah. spastic and like manic and bipolar because at one moment it's a vintage Kenner knockoff commercial. Yeah. At the next it's MTV video style. It is. But it, yet, you know what I found? Honestly, it really didn't tell us much. No, it didn't. It's like someone just went into a really cool video. Maybe it was someone's project for school. <laughs> it does come off that way, but it's, it's cool. It's a nice little video, but honestly, I was glad they weren't there. And I'm going to tell you why. Cause Chris Patali got to talk about stuff. We never get to hear about. He was there. He didn't just represent Sideshow and Gentle Giant. He was there and he's like, I got some slides on Think Geek. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you guys know they did the Tauntaun sleeping bag. They got their niche. Well, they're coming out with Tauntaun and Wampa Mead, kind of like Spam. Yeah, they had the Wampa Cuts and Tauntaun Cuts or something like that. Tauntaun Intestines uh, and Wampa Cutlets. It looks like Spam. It does look like Spam, especially the Wampa Cutlets. Yeah. Honestly, the Tauntaun intestines looks like what happens when Spam goes bad. Yeah. Then they had like a Han and Carbonite chocolate bar. And then something that actually is available for sale now that we were going to talk about this week anyway, lightsaber candlestick holder so you can like put a red candle into Darth Vader's lightsaber. Mm -hmm. Got to have these for when the power goes out. Okay. Or just an FX saber, really. That does the same kind of trick. Mm -hmm. Both light up a room. But I guess the Vader's more romantic Yeah. for I a lightsaber it, dinner I at home. I guess it is, yeah. Now, they're also coming out with a Han Solo in Carbonite business card case. And that may sound familiar because... Kodo has one, but you can't get it in the U.S. No, and we've been talking... Uh, on previous shows about some of Kodo's items with the business card case and the tie tacks and the ties. Mm -hmm. During the presentation, I actually asked Robert if there was a chance of this stuff coming to the States, and here was his reply. I have a question for both of you. Uh, we know Kodo Bukia has some great items like the business card holder, and there's some tie tacks and things over in Japan. Any chance of those making their way to the States? Uh, well, 
largely along with business cards and tie tags, we're actually doing a line of ties in Japan as well. And the ties are not so much just like in-your-face designs. It's very subtle, something you can actually wear in a business meeting. No one's really going to notice unless they look closely at it. Uh, I'm wearing one of them if you want to come take a close look. It's got it's got a Darth Maul emblem down below, maybe afterward. I know we're looking into trying to get the ties distributed in Japan. I believe the tie tags and the, and the card holders are taken up by other licenses, so I'm not sure we're going to be able to do those. But the ties will quite likely be Thanks. So it doesn't sound like we're going to get this. Now, the difference between Think Geek's business card case and Kotobukiya's is Kotobukiya's opens up, whereas Think Geek slides out for the cards. And one of them goes to 11. That's <laughs> kind of what it sounds like. Also, from the picture, it looks like Think Geek's is all plastic, whereas Kotobukiya's is vac metalized. Yeah. So this is actually the plastic one's a little more prop accurate, but the vac metalized one's a little more cool. Yeah. So, if you want your Kotobukiya tie pins and all of that, you're going to have to go to Strapia. There's some super secret Japanese sites you can get this stuff on. Yeah. But the ties may be coming. So, it was very cool to see Think Geek represented. Also, Funko got a little bit of time. You know, Funko, we always go to their booths. We always take pictures, but they never really present. No, and I really have a problem with bobbleheads. They kind of creep me out. But there was something we saw on the floor that you loved, and it was a new Funko item of, like, flat, super deformed... Well, yeah, it was just, like, flat. I can't even describe it. It's like they took something and just flat it made it very cubic, but it was a bobblehead. Now, I don't like the bobbly action. Again, I said it was creepy, but I like these because they were flat. Yeah, they were, like, one inch thick, but six inches tall. And so it really comes across, and there's no definition. It's almost like a wood carving, like yeah. an old-timey toy. And I just have to look at them. I don't know. They're kind of different. And I like the Batman one I saw, which is weird because I don't like Batman. You like the style, and yeah. you even like the Frankenberry one we saw. Yeah, and again, he's creepy. So you have a Frankenberry bobblehead, super creepy. But they're going to be coming out with this for Star Wars, Chris yes. told us. So that was nice. And he even got to mention Yoshitoku, who did that Really cool, but really expensive Samurai Vader way back at Celebration 4. Mm -hmm. They're going to be having some new items. Yeah. So I really wish that we'd get more of this kind of stuff in these Star Wars collecting panels, because it is the type of stuff that we cover on the show, but it's always like I get an email from a listener, and he's like, hey, have you seen this? Or we just go out and search ourselves mm -hmm. and are like, that's freaking cool. And... So it was a really good presentation. I enjoyed was, that. Yeah. And Kotobukiya was there talking about some of their items. Now, instead of hearing that from us, I actually got to talk to Robert on the show floor, and he described all the new stuff that they had on display there. So here is that interview. And we are here at the Kotobukiya booth with Robert of Kotobukiya. Hello, sir. Hi, how's it going? Good, thanks. Now, is this your first year at New York Comic Con, or are you guys old pros at this? Uh, I think this is actually our second year at Comic Con, uh, but it's my first year at Comic Con, so. Great. And you've got a lot of stuff on display here and some stuff we didn't see when we were talking to Dan at San Diego Comic Con. And one of the things I'm noticing are the Artifacts Plus droids here on display. Yep, the R2 and 3PO droids. Uh, those are coming soon, early next year. Uh, we've just got the like the final sculpt versions here, but the the paint masters I've seen back in the Tachikawa office, and they're looking really good. With the 3PO, is he going to be some kind of vac metalized? He will be vac metalized. He'll be that shiny gold sort of 
And then you also have on display some of the new ice molds, candy molds. Yep, we do have the new, well, actually, they were available at San Diego Comic-Con as well, the Hansel and R2-D2 silicon trays. Uh, those have been really big sellers, but we also have some new ones coming, the Darth Vader Stormtrooper X-Wing and Millennium Falcon trays that will be coming soon. Is there an estimated release date for those? Uh, we're targeting next year, but we don't have the exact date set. And then you also have the art up for the Jaina Solo Bishojo, and you put that on Facebook earlier. Yep, we just finally got the uh, the final sketch version of that, so we're, we're showing off the artwork. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to show some sculpts soon. And what kind of feedback have you gotten from the fan base on it? Uh, from the fans, actually, we've gotten really good feedback, especially those who have read like all of the Extended Universe books and everything. So the people who really know the character are really excited about it. And then even the fans who don't know it, the Star Wars fans are like, ooh, a female, you know, Bishojo figure. So the Darth Maul Artifacts Plus, uh, this is the first time the sculpt has actually been seen to the open public. And as you can see, we've got the multiple arms and the two different heads there, so you can do a few different poses with him. Uh, this is the first time that Yoda's been seen in color. That's right. He was unpainted at San Diego. He was unpainted at San Diego, so this is the first time you've seen the actual master paint master. And uh, I think that one's looking really good. Yeah, very nice detail on that. And I was wondering how it would look when painted because there was such fine detail in the sculpt that, you know, when you see them unpainted, it really bores out that. But seeing it painted, the cloth of the robe really has a great feel to it, and the floating of the rocks works well. Yeah, I love I love the way they sculpted the rocks on that one. And this one doesn't show it yet, but the generator at the base there and the little lamp on top will have LEDs, so he'll light up as well. Very cool. Well, thank you for talking with us. Oh, no problem. Thank you to Robert and Dan and all the people at Kotobukiya for coming on the show and really good showing. Again, mm -hmm. not a ton of new stuff here that wasn't at San Diego, but we got to see the painted Yoda. That thing, I was wondering how it looked painted. It looks so good unpainted. It, oh, <laughs> I'm getting that. I am so getting that. Then we had first time New York Comic Con visitor Hallmark there as well. They had exclusive ornaments that again were selling out every day. Uh, about every 90 minutes, every day, they would sell out. So you had to get there early, stand in line, do your time, just like everything else. But great ornaments, more droids. Now we got to talk to Christine at Hallmark about their 2012 keepsake offerings, including some exclusives as well as some gift items. And we are here at New York Comic Con with Christine at Hallmark. Hello, ma'am. Hi, how are you? Doing good. So... New York Comic Con exclusive keepsake ornaments. Yes, they have been a hit so far. We've already sold out every day in an hour and a half. <laughs> so first there was San Diego, yes. now there's New York. Yes. How, how far is this going to spread? I don't know. We're kind of testing the waters this year. We've never been to New York, and um, so far we've had a really good show. And it's nice to see that the show is growing, and I think that's what, what kind of attracted our attention to it. So. We'll see based on kind of uh, what happens tomorrow if it's something that we want to continue to do. So, And I know that there are so many collectors of the keepsake ornaments who go every year during the opening day to get them, and they're lucky they did with Bosk being a sellout this year. And San Diego Comic-Con was kind of a sticking point for some because they don't go to conventions. And then now this and the high secondary markets. Has there been any reconsideration of possibly offering limited online availability for these exclusive ornaments? Um, no. 
Not right now. I mean, I you know, the online thing, we don't even sell our regular keepsake ornaments online. So um, in the future, you know, there may be an online possibility, but I'm not so sure about the conventions because for us it's really about that exclusivity. Um, we like that collectors come and see us, and we do feel bad that collectors can't always complete their set because they can't come here. Um, but the, the excitement that we get when we do these exclusives for the for the fans that actually do make it to Comic-Con is, is worth it, you know. And then let's talk about next year's keepsake lineup yes. that you premiered at San Diego Comic-Con you have on display here. Yes. We've got a couple of prequel ornaments again. Yes. Uh, yeah. We're... Um, We've always actually wanted to do General Grievous. It's come up several times, and um, I think we're probably a little bit later than we wanted to be on it, but just with the popularity of Clone Wars even, and it just being a skew that both... I mean, everyone thought he was pretty cool from the prequels. You can't deny that. And the sculpt is beautiful, and um, we also think kids really dig him as well, and, and it's a big a big deal for us when, when parents can share with their kids the ornaments as well. So. And then Darth Maul, is that coincidence or intentionally tying into the 3D? Definitely intentionally tying into 3D. We had done Maul before, so we debated whether we wanted to do him, but we really thought, you know, if we're going to do one person that, rep, you know, represents Episode 1 for the 3D launch, it's got to be Darth Maul. And then for the original trilogy lineup, we have a TIE Interceptor? Yep. You know, we, we go through so many ships that we want to do. And uh, we just sort of figure out, okay, based on what we did last time, well, we did a rebel ship last time, let's do an imperial ship this time. So, or actually, no, we, I guess we did Slave One, so we did like Snowspeeder, rebel ship, and we got a bounty hunter ship, and now we have an imperial ship. So we just try to balance the line out each time. Are there any electronics or lights on that? There is. Um, I believe it plays the Imperial March. I don't think it has light. Um, the, the Han Solo Tauntaun one for next year will have multiple plays. Um, on the scene when he's looking and saves Luke. So, uh, yes, there, there will be a comment about, uh, I thought these things were... Uh, <laughs> no bad on the outside. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, we wanted, to, we wanted to be able to do a scene like that. But, you know, to actually show the Tauntaun dead with the guts, we decided that probably wasn't the really the great Christmas ornament to have. So, although very funny, um, but we couldn't lose the line. The line's too iconic. Yeah. Comic-Con exclusive. For next year? No, I mean, have the Tauntaun oh, Guts. Yes, yes, yeah, Tauntaun Guts. I mean, uh, we've talked about some really weird things for Comic-Con and Celebration exclusives. I mean, um, some of which you might see where some of our thinking went for next year's Celebration, which I cannot reveal, but I'm excited about uh, next year's Celebration exclusive, actually. So you mentioned a Celebration 6 exclusive. Last time it wasn't a keepsake ornament. Is it going to be next time? I can proudly say yes. It will be a, a, a keepsake ornament, and we actually will have a bigger booth next year, and we will have more quantities. So we're so we uh, misjudged last year. We apologize, and we will have more quantities, so every fan should be able to to get it. But I, I I know the demand will still be high, so definitely the fans that are listening that want that ornament, make sure you hit our booth early in the morning each day. <laughs> And then in addition to the ornaments you have out, is there going to be another uh, limited ornament next year in the Keepsake line? There will be another limited ornament um, next year in July, so July premiere. Um, hopefully it will do as good as Box. I can't reveal it right now, but um, look, it's something that our retailers like to keep quiet. I know I was able to reveal it last year, but they've asked me not to reveal it this year. So I can hint around that it's from A New Hope. 
So how's that? I know that really doesn't really help you, but at least you know what movie it's from. <laughs> and with the Tauntaun Guts comment, I can rule out Burned Baru and Owen. Y- yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that was in a, in a very long brainstorm. Something like that was brought. I mean, we you know, we bring up and joke around with each other just like anyone else. So we brought up some really kind of twisted ornaments as well. And then this year we saw the first Lego Star Wars keepsake ornament with Darth Vader. Next year, the Stormtrooper. How is that relationship with Lego, and is it something that you're looking at long term? Um, yeah, we just kind of started it through Lucas. I, I mean, it's it's a really cool property to have. A lot of kids love it. We um, started actually with a party pattern that went gangbusters, and we're, we're starting to do cards now as well. And um, it was natural to just do the ornaments, and so far so good. I, From what I hear, Darth Vader is selling really, really well. So um, as, as long as it's sells well and there's a demand with the collectors we'd love to continue that line as, as long as possible so. and speaking of selling well bosk was i believe you told me at comic-con the first sellout of the weekend for uh, for the star wars ornaments well we yes we have you know we always do uh, we always do we have for about the last four years i think a limited quantity that we started doing um that only that launches at premiere um there's a set number and um Basically, we, we always sell out of them usually, or there's a good sell-through, but never in the first weekend. And Bosk was gone by the first weekend. We were blown away. But that's great. I mean, he's a cool character, and I think it's also a test to a lot of people are really starting to like these limited quantity figures. So. Well, while half of them were probably bought by Mary Franklin, are you thinking about possibly <laughs> increasing? her one. <laughs> just one? Yeah, we did. We gave her just one. So she could have gone out and bought a whole lot. I don't know. <laughs> But have you thought about increasing that quantity in future years to give people a greater shot at it? Um, you know, we balance it out each year. Um, I, 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 it will ebb and flow. It's definitely gone up since the first year. Um, so we just kind of see based on interest if, if that's something we'll continue to do. We still will always keep it low just because we want that, you know, we want that demand and we want that limited collectability. So we want people to come into stores and get excited about that very first time we're launching ornaments in July. It's our Christmas in July. It's our launch every year. So it's something that drives that event, um, just like a Comic-Con exclusive drives this event. So. And now let's talk about some of your gift items. You've got a lot of new gift items that were here and at San Diego. Yep. Um, I sh- my, my favorite, I shouldn't say that, but it sounds like a f- crowd favorite so far the last three days, is the, the light side, dark side double coffee mug. So you can choose the color of your coffee, the color of uh, the side of the force you want to be on, and drink accordingly. <laughs> See, when I first saw that, I will say, I thought before I realized it was upside down yes. that it was perfect for macchiatos because macchiatos, the milk sits at the bottom and all the espressos oh. at the top. So, yeah, well, I mean, I, unfortunately, you can't do that because it stops at some point. But if you want to have a macchiato, you can have a macchiato. <laughs> that is a very cool cup. And then you've also got these 3D frames. Yeah, no, that was something that we wanted to expand. If, if you're The sentiment quote line that we did, the four death sentiment quotes, we wanted to do something different with some visuals. And um, we have uh, an artist um, in our licensing group. He actually did this part, too. He, uh, he just he has a passion around Star Wars and he has this cool styling so he did the backgrounds to them and then of course we took um, the uh, some iconic scenes from Tatooine and Dagobah uh, with the characters of Luke and Yoda and put some quotes now the quote of course is actually not a Luke quote it's a Princess Leia quote 
but it was really about the you know the message and you know saying it um, uh, just you know for us it's about the message and the whole property what it brings to um, families and to friends and to really sharing the experience through uh, what it I mean what what it means to share those memories together. Then you've got a pen and paper set that's actually very cool. Yeah, I, th I can't see it over there, but the um, pen and paper set, the idea behind that is to just, we always wanted a pen that had a lightsaber in it, and, and you could actually control the lightsaber. Well, we can't exactly do the controlling of the lightsaber, but if, when you do pull out the pen, um, you do hear the lightsaber noise um, activate, you hear some lightsaber battle sounds, and then when you put the pen back in, the lightsaber does close. So um, we just thought we do a lot of stationary items, so it was uh, something that seemed like a natural fit uh, with a pin and a lightsaber. And then you've got some other coffee mugs now, some travel mugs? Yeah, we've had we had the Force one that plays the theme song, and we had the um, Always in Motion is the Future, the Yoda one that has several Yoda quotes. And um, both the coffee sound mugs and the sound buttons have done so well for us, we decided to expand that line. So we added a Han Solo. Everybody loves Han Solo. I, I secretly was in love and wanted to be Han Solo at the same time. I actually wrote Harrison Ford and asked him to marry me. He's, did you at least get an autograph or a reply? I absolutely did. He sent me an autograph back. In, uh, 19, I, sent, I wrote him in 1980, and then I wrote him again in 1981. Very nice. <laughs> but, yeah, we have a Never Tell Me the Odds mug, and it has, I think, five different quotes that he says, and obviously one being, May the Force be with you. Not many people remember that he was the actually first person to say that. Um, Everyone thinks it's Obi-Wan. I know. Well, his is just a little variation. Never tell me the odds. And then we have a Yoda button um, that, you know, I mean, Yoda, we can't sell enough of Yoda. Everyone loves Yoda so much, and um, so we have more sounds that are different from the sounds of the travel mug. Some are crossing over, but we added some more quotes to that one that's different. I like that it says on the top, hear you nothing that I say. Yes. And we want to have something that is a quote that not many people think of, but it makes sense for the sound button. Hear you nothing that I say. Tell you again. Yes. So what kind of stuff do we have to look forward to as the line expands? Well, I have I have two two reveals for you. One will be in the gift line next year that we don't we don't have here. Um, one of it we don't have it done. It's a little bit longer lead time, but it's something we really wanted to plus up the gift line with. So we're actually going to have a sculpted bust of Vader on a little platform, and it's a it's a, a fortune teller. It's a Vader fortune teller. So it's a, it, we're calling it a destiny decider. So you can ask Vader a question, you can press the button, and he will tell you if it's in your future or not. If it is your destiny, <laughs> um, so that's that's number one. So it, uh, I haven't we haven't told, revealed that to anyone, but it's going to be in the April 2012 launch of our, our the new gifts that we just talked about as well. Um, it might go ship a little bit later just because it's a sculpted thing. It might be um, closer to Father's Day, but um, look for it sometime between the spring and early summer. And then um, we also just added something really cool. Um, we we started these uh, things in keepsakes called Peak Busters a couple of years ago. And um, it, it had a little uh, amp, little penguin and a police car. And when a kid would approach the tree to try to open the presents, the sirens would go off. And so we thought, oh man, wouldn't that be really cool if Darth Vader could talk to, talk to the kid to not peek? So what we have introduced, or we will introduce for Christmas 2012, it should come out sometime in the October-November time frame, is the Darth Vader Peak Buster. And so it'll be the, a sculpted version of Darth Vader um, that will actually talk to the kids. There's things like, 
Oh, peaking. And we, we actually do have Darth Vader's voice saying a little bit of variations of what uh, it would sound like in the actual movie. So variation of the, the lines from the movies. Who did the voice for that? Do you know? That would be Chad Vader. That would be, um, gosh, I can't think of his real name right now. <laughs> Everyone knows him as I, Chad Vader. I, I, I can say his real name, but I should just call him Chad Vader. He was such a pleasant, he was so pleasant to work with, and he's such a great sound alike. He really is, so... And how will that... No, I mean James Earl Johnson. No, just <laughs> and how will that hang on the tree, or will it sit under the tree? How does the peak finder work? It does. It is on a platform, but it, it can hang on the tree, both. So um, you can choose it either way if you want to sit it near the tree. And it will be a motion sensor. So it's motion sensor activated anytime a kid approaches a present or a tree. So I guess wherever you don't want the kid to peek is where you should put it. Um, but it's just a fun family little game. It's done really well for us, and this is the first time we're going to do a character with it, so I think it'll be a lot of fun. About how big is it? Um, it's actually the size of a, um, a, a full keepsake ornament, pretty much. So, um, And it, it's going to be a little more Christmas-sized than our normal, but we thought we could get away with it since it's particularly about Christmas. All right. Well, Christine, thank you very much for the time. Great items. And Marjorie has already bought me some of these things for my birthday. I see she will continue to for time to come. <laughs> We're glad to hear that. And we'll always love to talk to you guys. So thank you. Thanks to Christine. You know, I really love that Vader Lego ornament. We just mm -hmm. got it not long before we came to New York. And I was like, you know, a Lego Hallmark ornament I don't know that I need that. It doesn't fit with the rest. It's a different collection. But now that I see they're doing the Stormtrooper for next year and it's something that may continue, I really like that. I really suggest you folks go out there. I could see this one being a hot, hot seller. Yeah. You don't want to wait till November before you get that if no. you want it. Check it out. I just, the, ever since Lego Star Wars, the video games, the whole Lego style of Star Wars has taken on its own life. Yes, it has. It's very cute. A couple other companies that were there for Star Wars, AFX Collectibles, the online store, was there, and they had on display their exclusive Gentle Giant Star Wars logo bookends in gold. And yep, they look exactly yep. like I expected. Just like you think. It's the same thing, but in gold. Again, long game. Yep. Which, Setting my price, $28. Yeah, we'll see. Super 7 was there, and you know them from their... Jumbo Stormtrooper with fist-firing action, and mm -hmm. they had the wallpaper that we were praising a few weeks yeah. back. It's velvet flocked. I couldn't believe it. I just thought it looked cool, but we saw Frank there, and Frank's like, touch it. And I'm like, touch what? Touch the wallpaper. It's wallpaper. Then I touch it, I'm like, oh, Marjorie, you gotta touch this. Yeah, I didn't touch it, because everyone else has touched it. Yeah, the germs, but yeah, it was so soft it's and so flocked. nice. Yeah. Oh, this wallpaper. Uh, you just, if you're at Celebration next year, go up to Frank and ask if you can feel his wallpaper. He'll probably have the same demo out. You'll probably be getting my germs and millions of other people's germs, but it really... Well, let's just hope he has the wallpaper out. <laughs> I love this wallpaper, but having seen it in person and gone there, it is just so much nicer than cool. even I imagined from seeing it online. But that was about it for official Star Wars mm -hmm. stuff at the con. I was... It was a little bit Star Wars light, but you wonder the stuff that really drove home an impression besides the wallpaper and the cool 2012 Hallmark ornaments and the official stuff I knew about. The bootleg stuff. There was a yeah. massive amount of bootleg stuff here, and it was cool bootleg stuff. And I was surprised because, you know, they did have Lucasfilm people here. Yeah. They were promoting Red Tails. Yeah. So I was surprised, but they always are kind of nice to people who 
aren't making huge profits and are just doing custom one-off yeah. work. You, you start doing a factory, it's a different thing. Now, I did find out that 3A, which is a company we covered for San Diego Comic-Con, and they had some rumors of some really cool figures. I talked to some of the 3A folks. The rumors are true. That's not going to be happening with the Star Wars line. They're not making any more even prototypes. The prototypes that are out there are mostly had by the sculptor himself. There's a few others that are floating around, and that's all there will ever be. Hmm, that's too bad. But some of the cool stuff we did see, there was a company there named Major League Mods. Now, many of you may have a Star Wars Xbox on pre-order. Uh, it's nothing compared to this Star Wars Xbox. This is an R2-D2 Xbox that puts the official one to shame. Yes. It is about the size of the interactive voice-controlled R2-D2, but it's an Xbox. And it has the blue and white controller. And if PlayStation's more your style, he's got a black R2 unit that does a PlayStation. He's got a speaker system where the Death Stars, the Subwoofers, and TIE Fighters are your satellites. Very cool stuff. He was actually having a contest to give away the Xbox. Mm -hmm. I entered. I'm sad I didn't win. Hmm. Then there was a company called Art Wino that was just doing some paintings of Robot Vader all rusted out. Some really, really cool art. And then Toy Cube had sculptures in a similar style. And they had the four clones all out. And it's a cubic style that's a little bit hard to describe. Again, I hope you're listening to our enhanced podcast through iTunes because we have pictures of these. But they were a little outside my price range for something I'd just seen. I like to consider my purchases a little bit before I jump in, but I definitely took down these people's websites because just when you think Chlamydia has killed you, you see these, and they're so cool, but they were three fifty dollars apiece. Ouch, it's a little pricey. But I just love the style of them. And they had a set of four. Now, sadly, that set of four, maybe they'd make me a bargain. Mm -hmm. Maybe just $1,200. But yeah, right. Very, very cool stuff there. But the hit of the con for me is a company you've probably never heard of, but you should. And I'd never heard of. Geekbox. Yeah, I foresee some Christmas buying here. Displaying of figures is something that's always been a problem for us, especially with my vintage figures. I did like the cases that were put out by Protec, the mm -hmm. big one that would hold all the vintage figures in one case. And I didn't care for the smaller ones as much because you'd need more of them. And then when I saw Protec scalping at San Diego Comic-Con, it really put a bad taste in my mouth, and I didn't feel like giving them several hundred dollars. And the guy was a jerk, too. And yeah. Not about the scalping, just about me wanting to purchase something. And he was a real jerk. And, you know, if you're in customer service, that impression goes a long way towards customer business. So something to think about, although I, too, can empathize with con stress. Yeah. But Geekbox has kicked their butt. Yeah, this guy makes custom boxes. So he'll make a custom size box for you with, you know, the shelves, the mirrored bag, you want a plain bag. But not only will he do that, he makes pretty super awesome insides, like dioramas to go. Like he had on display a Jabba throne room. And it was the sideshow Jabba figure in an entire custom diorama. And honestly... I would expect to see the prices of those to be thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's what I was expecting, too. And I'm like, oh, boy. But it was 800 yeah. which is high. I'm not going to say it's but not high. But that included the toy. That did include the toy. Yeah. He will build impressive dioramas with the toys in them or without. or without. So if you're like me and you'd prefer to put your own toys in there, 
you can do that. But what I just absolutely love is their basic box, which is two shelves for three and three quarter inch figures, is only thirty dollars. Yeah. Or two for fifty, so you can get four shelves for just basic displays with a mirrored back and a black wood finish, which matches my aesthetic choice and how I've done most of the Sithsonian is in a black wood mm-hmm. type. So just great, great stuff. This guy actually was commissioned recently to do an Avengers diorama for Joss Whedon that was delivered to him when filming wrapped for Avengers. So this guy is going places, but check it out. We'll have a link to their website on our homepage. Whether you just want a plain thing for something like the vintage figures that I want, just the shelving, or something really elaborate like a desert, Moss Eisley, this guy, you get what you pay for, and he's a bargain at $800 for some of these dioramas. Now, if you're a skilled diorama maker, you can obviously make your own. I have neither the time, nor the patience, nor the skill. Yeah. And so to find someone who can do it at a reasonable price, and I consider that to be reasonable, you got to be picky, but I would much rather have something to display my collectibles on than, say, two additional premium format figures. Yeah, it's that's really going to help out. So this guy and I, we're going to have a long history together when I get set up. Also at the con, Dan Wallace was there. Now, if you haven't heard, The Jedi Path, which was that really cool book that came out, but it was $100 MSRP, really around 60 has come out in a regular book edition without the vault, without all the niceties, at a much lower price, and he's now working on The Book of Sith, the evil counterpart to a Jedi Ooh. Path. I got a chance to catch up with Dan. He's been on the show with us before, and here's that interview discussing those books. And we're here with Dan Wallace, author of Jedi Path. Hello, sir. Hey, very happy to be here. Thanks. So we just found out that there is a new version of the Jedi Path by just a few weeks ago and saw it in stores. And I picked up the collector's edition of it. Can you tell us how the idea came about that there would be a second edition that's much more affordable? Yeah, that's exactly right there. Right now, uh, the the original Jedi Path came out last fall, and it was a collector's version, basically. We call it the vault edition because it comes in a vault. It comes in a case. You push a button, and the case opens up, and it has lights and sounds. And then the book is inside, but the book also has souvenirs. There's a coin. There's a patch. There's a, you know, there's a lot of little things. So it's as much a collectible as it is a book. Um, which is great for a lot of people because it's a great package and it looks beautiful. But for some people, um, either maybe they don't have a, a, as much money to, to, to drop on something like that, or they might be more book purists. Some people really wanted to read it, but they're like, I don't really care for the extra things and that. So we've, we decided to go out and sort of um, accommodate everybody by having what we call the trade edition. And that's out now. Uh, it just came out last month, the Jedi Path trade edition. It's just the book. Right, so none of the extras is much uh, more affordable. The the vault uh, lists for like a hundred dollars, but you can usually get it for about sixty. Uh, the trade edition lists for about twenty, but you could probably get it for about twelve. And these are U.S. dollars, but just approximately in that range. If you're really interested in picking it up, uh, you can do that. And uh, just to remind everybody, the Jedi Path is basically it's a textbook. 
It's the Jedi's textbook. It's the book that they, in universe, that they would have carried around in the temple um, while they were studying. And this particular version was the version that was owned by some of the famous Jedi from the movies like Obi-Wan and Anakin, uh, Ahsoka Tano, and that, who left their uh, graffiti and, and scribbles and comments in the margins. That was something that I loved when I first ordered the book, the collector's edition, and started seeing all the little like notes in the margins and things. And how as a writer did you go about writing a book and then writing like notes about what you wrote in the book? It was interesting. I actually wrote the book twice. You know, I, I wrote the book, which was trying to write a textbook. So it, it, in, in, in broad terms, it was like, well, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the force, you know, lightsabers, um, you know, becoming a Padawan, all those kind of things. And then I sort of had to write it from the point of view of, of the, the, the masters who would be putting that down. And then I went back a second time and I had to add the commentary. And that was a lot of fun because I had to react to what was already on those pages. Um, there was usually a couple of comments per page, so I kind of had to pace them, you know. And then when they were coming from more than one person, in some cases they would be in a, in a chain, like there would be a string of them. So, And they, the string of comments could only go in one direction chronologically. So maybe Qui-Gon owned it at one point, and he, he made a comment, and Obi-Wan got it from Qui-Gon, and then Obi-Wan read Qui-Gon's comment and made his own comment about that. And then Anakin would have then picked it up and he would have made a comment about that. So there's a couple instances of that where I had to have them playing off of each other in sort of these chains. But I had to also put myself in the voice of each of each character and say, well, what would what 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 bit in this book would Qui-Gon comment about? What what would be important to him? And what bit in this book would like Ahsoka comment about? And they're usually two completely different things. Of course, it kind of you just blew my mind because, you know, the Clone Wars is kind of its own reality. It's animated and things. And it's it feels very, in many ways, far removed from the original trilogy. So to suddenly picture Luke Skywalker flipping through a book, seeing notes by, you know, snips and thinking, oh, wow, this must be some great Jedi my father once trained. Like, wow. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really wonder where they'll go with that. I mean, obviously, the, her story is still being told, but um, I don't think it's out of the question, and I'm just making this up, but I don't think it's out of the question that at some point in the future, uh, they've talked about doing a live-action television series. Maybe she Ahsoka survives the Clone Wars be, by going underground. Maybe she resurfaces as an adult, and they hire an actress to play, and then be, she becomes, you know, live-action at that point, and then it's just, that's what it is. I mean, that's something like that could happen but uh it's really hard to and maybe she does become a great jedi master you know underground fighting for the resistance or something like that that's me completely making up a story i have no idea if anybody's planning to do that but she's very popular and i wouldn't be surprised if uh lucasfilm tries to keep her around if they can but of course when you're writing the notes you're writing it from the character as she was seen and you know when we even go back a year ago when the jedi path first came out she was still very much the young child they really kind of blink and she's evolved there yeah they she evolved very fast which would make sense i mean maybe they they skipped like a year's worth of time or something like that so she's more mature um it makes sense uh all the stories within the Clone Wars time frame are being really compressed. I mean, it's like three years worth of time, but they're just packing the stories in there. So, um, and you know, people grow up fast during wartime, I guess is, is the story. So that Clone Wars saga has yet to be completed, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes another couple of seasons and then they'll probably wrap it up in favor of a new project. 
So wrapping back around to the Jedi Path, are there any differences in the book itself in the collector's edition and the trade edition? Very little, because um, we wanted to have all the content in there. So, uh, you know, for people that wanted to buy the the main Jedi Path Vault Edition, but they they you know didn't have the money, um, we want them to not miss out on any any facts. So it's pretty much all in there. We did do a couple of different things. One was we fixed some minor typos that were in the original. Uh, we um, removed a couple of comments because a couple of the comments were related to the items that were in the book. So there might be a comment from a Jedi and he'd say, hey, I, I, I received this Jedi medallion. I'm going to place it between these pages and something like that. And so we took those ones out of this version because there's no Jedi medallion. I didn't want somebody thinking like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? Uh, and then the third thing that we did that was a little bit different was the original Vault Edition if you page through it, you saw two pages were ripped out. They're missing, and they're like little scraps of ripped paper in the spine where they were going. That was intentional. The idea was that um, there was some sensitive information there that had been uh, removed forcibly, and we actually had the printer, you know, made a special printing of the book to like jagged edges and actually print half pages there or partial pages, um, and that's actually kind of expensive. It's hard to do that with a printer and it's kind of expensive. And so for this one, they're trying to keep costs down. They said, we can't do that again. So let's let's do another trick to do the same thing. So basically what happens is the pages are there, but the information has been redacted like the CIA. Like if you look at classified documents and it's all covered over with a black pen, like a black marker, uh, that's basically what happened to the pages in this edition. Okay, so it's important for the listeners to know that the Vault Edition does not have those pages, so they don't think, oh, those are only pages for people who pay $100 or 60 on Amazon. Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> we weren't trying to, like, cut that out, but uh, the idea originally was we, we were, it was supposed to be a used textbook, basically. And so not only does it have graffiti in the margins from the people who owned it before, but we... From the very, very beginning, we thought would it would be fun if some pages were missing. But we had to make it obvious that they were missing, so they couldn't just be completely ripped out. There had to be a scrap left. And then we were like, yeah, maybe people still won't get it. They might think somebody, like, went in and, like, vandalized it. So we actually, at the very this was very late in the game, we added a little note in the Vault Edition from Luke where it's a little scrap of paper that's tucked in where those are missing. And it's like Luke saying, I, these pages were missing when I received my copy of the book. Perhaps somebody removed them. Just so nobody could possibly send us an angry letter like, hey, I paid for 160 pages and I got 158. Is the Vault Edition still in print? I've noticed Amazon's been sold out of that for quite some time. Uh, I don't know if it's been... I, I, I didn't know that it was sold out on, online. I, I'm pretty sure you can still get it. I know, in fact, earlier this year, I had heard that they were making a second printing available. So I don't know that for sure. I would suggest just going to Amazon.com slash Jedi Path. Um, that's the, the shortcut to see that, just to see what's there. Um, I... I don't think it is. Uh, I know the trade edition is available now, and what we're sort of segueing into soon is going to be this new Book of Sith Vault Edition, which is uh, available now for pre-order at Amazon.com slash Book of Sith. Now, that's a great segue. So the Book of the Sith, uh, Book of Sith, a, um, a sequel, a parallel, how would you describe it? We kind of thought of it as a sequel originally because the Jedi Path did very well, and we saw, we said, okay, people really seem to like this. 
Um, and we had some ideas as to where we could go with it. You know, and we had a lot of ideas. You know, we were like, hey, it could be a, a pilot's thing. It could be about bounty hunters. It could be about stormtroopers or the Empire or something like that. But far and away, people kept coming up to me and saying, when are you going to do the Sith path? I mean, far and away, that by, by uh, orders of magnitude, people wanted to see the Sith as a follow-up. And we just kept getting questions about it. And finally, we just came back and we said, you know what? We should just probably figure that out. Let's let's, let's go and do that. And so we developed this. And I would say uh, it's a... It's a counterpoint, really. Um, it's kind of like the Jedi Path in, in that it's going to come in a vault and, and that, and it's a book, and it has various teachings that people commented on it like before. But it was it was sort of sourced in a completely different way. The authors are, are very different, Sith from different areas of history, and the, the vault itself and, and the removables that are going to be contained in this are very uh, evil. You know, there's a certain sinister... Uh, creepiness about the whole thing when you see it all, all put together. Now, was there any resistance to this? Because I know when we had Jim Lucino on the show, we had him on a couple of years ago around the time Millennium Falcon came out, and he wanted to do the Darth Plagueis novel, and it was said that it's best to keep it mysterious, and they didn't want to do that novel. And Jim was really pushing for that book, and it, it eventually did happen, and it's going to be coming out. So was there any resistance towards demystifying the Sith by having a book? Uh, I think, well, maybe a little bit. I I think there was initially some resistance, and I don't know if it was as much around demystifying the Sith. That probably had something to do with it, but I think there was a, a, initially a little resistance in terms of the concept of doing a book that was kind of like about the bad guys, you know, like it was just the evil part. Because kind of at the end of the day, it's important to know that, like, Lucasfilm and, Star, and you know, George Lucas and, and Star Wars, they, they, it's... They still very much um, are committed to the idea that it's a, a heroic story. It's a story of good over evil, you know, that there's a triumph of, of that. And um, therefore, even though they t- they've told sort of stories where you sort of play uh, on the side of the Empire, if you look at those, usually there's a reason why, you know, that you're fighting for the good anyway, right, within a corrupt system or something like that. And, th- and that's, that's by design. Lucasfilm feels strongly about that. They don't want to promote the, the bad side too much uh, and, and sort of muddy the waters, I guess. Um, so I think maybe there's a little resistance to the idea of, okay, you want to do a Sith book, but how are you going to do it? You know, you, you kind of have to explain to us how this is going to come across so that it's not too, you know... Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> join the dark side, and you know this, and so um, one of the ways that I ended up doing that when the outline was here's the different Sith that have commented on it, and that, but some of the people that have commented on it, the text in the margins are Jedi, because some of these fragments of text, like I, I had the idea that some of these were originally uh, some of the contents of the book of the Sith originally held in the Jedi Temple, for example, like in their records vault or something like that. And while they're in the records vault, somebody like Yoda or or Mace Windu or somebody might have commented on them. And then um, later uh, they get bound into this, and eventually Luke, like the old one, uh, eventually falls into the hands of Luke. So he has the opportunity to comment on them. So there's definitely some counterpoints to some of the more uh, insidious bits of philosophy from uh, people like uh, Mace Windu and and people like Luke and that to sort of um, repudiate some of the points or at least provide a, a counter. 
Now, tell us a little bit about the goodies that are going to be coming with this. Book of Sith is coming out um, on February uh, 10th. A Valentine's Day gift for someone you love to be evil. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's actually coming out to coincide with the release of Episode 1 in 3D. So there's there's that. It might be easier to remember. Um, and so yeah, it is February 10th, and we don't have everything put together right now, but we do have a prototype of the of the vault. So um, and then we also have um, some sort of excerpts in that. Um, I'm looking at one right now. Uh, it has a list of all the stuff, right? Um, so there's going to be the book itself. There's going to be a case, uh, which is a pyramidal, uh, sinister-looking, a mechanized, a light-up and sound holocron case. Looks like a Sith holocron. And I'm fortunate enough to be getting an early look at this, and it is very cool-looking, I have to say. And then within it, there's some other things. Um, we don't have all of them yet because, like I said, this is a prototype. But the book itself is here, and, and is kind of a cool, like uh, leather, uh, leatherish type cover. And then underneath the, uh, once you remove the book from the case, within the case there are a couple of things. One is there's a Sith talisman that's sort of like a um, uh, a compass um, that uh, from the Clone Wars television series is a sort of a. Um, the uh, character Savage Opress has this thing where he's using this compass to find his brother Darth Maul, and it's sort of a reproduction of that. There's also a a lightsaber crystal, uh, a red crimson Sith lightsaber crystal that will be included with this. And these are just the two that we have now. Within the book itself, once you open it up, there will be other things. There's going to be sort of this scrap of a burial shroud from like an ancient Sith, like a, you know, like a, the, the, the really ancient Sith back from the, the home world and that. Um, there's going to be a diagram of sort of Palpatine's plan to take over the galaxy. In essence, like he, there's sort of a, a, a diagram that he put together where um, sort of shorthanding how he's going to split things. Like, you know, he's going to use Dooku, he's going to use the Confederacy, he's going to use the corporations, he's going to use the Huts, he's going to use the Jedi, he's going to use the clone army, and has a bunch of like little interesting notations on it. And then there's um, an Imperial propaganda poster that'll be in there, sort of, because ultimately this is a book of the Sith, so the last person to, to write in it is the Emperor. Um, and so there's sort of a, a bit of him being triumphant sort of at the end, you know, that, uh, and that's why the Imperial propaganda fo- poster fits in there. And that'll be a lot of fun too. So does this book give secrets like how to survive being cut in half and knocked down a big well? You mentioned Darth Maul. I couldn't help but think about it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I'm waiting to see what happens with uh, the way that he comes back from that. I actually don't know. Um, I know that he's coming back. I don't know how they're doing it. But they're certainly, uh, um, you know, in Episode 3, the, the, the path to the dark side is ways that some would consider unnatural or something like that. And there's one of the writers of the Book of the Sith here was Darth Plagueis, who's... Uh, Palpatine's master, Darth Sidious's master, who, um, according to the movies, could influence the midi-chlorians to create life. And, and uh, so I wrote a section in the book about, from his point of view, and it was very, uh, uh, he was an interesting dude, basically, because some of the Sith uh, ones are a little bit more mystical. They're more belief in sort of magic, like, like spirit magic. And some of the Sith are more scientific and rational. And some of them, like Palpatine, are just, you know, megalomaniacal, power-hungry dudes. 
given that the Sith have a bit of a weird history in EU where the Sith were a species for a while and that dark Jedi weren't necessarily Sith and the prequels came around and there was the whole the Sith, the rule of two, which kind of differed from the other Sith orders and all that. Is this something you all had to try to all rationalize while doing this book? It's actually one of the reasons why we have like six different authors because the six authors come from different eras so we have this uh, ancient Sith who's the original character who was sort of alive during the very very early eras when the dark Jedi sort of uh, were with the Sith species then we have um Darth Bane, um, who is a character from the comics and, and other places, um, he instituted the Rule of Two. Uh, and then we have, before him, we actually have uh, Darth Malgus, who is this character from the new game coming out, The Old Republic. Uh, he, he narrates part of it. And then we have um, Mother Talzin, who's from the Clone Wars, who's not strictly a Sith, but she's a Darksider, and she sort of is a Night Sister. She's the leader of the Night Sisters. So she has a different take on Dark Side magic. Uh, and then um, Palpatine sort of, uh, uh, and Darth Plagueis, like I said, and then Palpatine accumulates all this. One of the reasons I thought this was good was you could take all those different things that are completely different, and the idea is that Palpatine went through, ripped out the stuff that he thought was good, threw the stuff he didn't like in the garbage, and then he bound the six things that he liked into this. This, this became Book of the Sith, and, and that's why he was able to take over the galaxies, because he was the beneficiary of the best teachings from those who have come before him. Now, given that it was presumed that a Sith ripped out those pages from the Jedi path, any chance of those making their way into Book of Sith? We, we don't know what to do with those. Yeah, those are... Those are not, uh, I'll just spoil it, they're not, they're not in here, just in case anybody's looking for them. But I, I've certainly heard that idea uh, kicked around, and, and we've got to figure out something fun we can do with that. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. We'll, 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 we'll figure out something to do. Then to go back to one of your earlier projects, I wanted to just kind of touch base on the Star Wars Atlas. Last time we had you on the show, we were talking about the Atlas, and you guys were doing really cool updates with that at the StarWars.com website. And I noticed after the redesign, I haven't been able to find those updates. Is that something still ongoing or... Yeah, well, uh, TBD, I don't know. Uh, the redesign just happened, and obviously it's a, a very uh, slick-looking thing. It's very visual, uh, looks great, but um, some of the content isn't... You can't. You have to drill down a little deeper to find it. I'm pretty sure because I tested it myself. I went to StarWars.com/slash/Atlas, and it was still working. So I, you can link to it. Um, so that provides a, a shortcut to um, where we are hosting a lot of the extra content. You can still get to it. StarWars.com/slash/Atlas. Um, but in terms of what the future, I know that just in general, you, with a redesign, it's a little bit more focused on higher level stuff. Uh, and I think one of the things that Lucasfilm is saying from that is, is uh, we'll, we're sort of the official uh, gateway to this information, but we're kind of the gateway to this information. You're, you might be able to find, like if you go to the encyclopedia on StarWars.com now, uh, it has information about all the characters, but it also has a link to Wikipedia if you want to get really detailed information. They, I think they're just kind of saying, like, we're not actually trying to compete with that level of detail. We're trying to do something different. All right. Well, Dan, thank you very much for coming back on the show, and we really appreciate it and look forward to seeing Book of Sith and whatever you're working on in the future. All right. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you, Dan. Great talking to you again. Now, there was another book being shown off at New York Comic Con, and it just recently came out, and it's the Star Wars Blueprints book. Now, I've seen this at San Diego Comic Con, but 
I didn't have a lot of time at Comic-Con to really get my hands on it and start getting into it. This thing is huge. It is. It's like, what, two feet by three feet? And maybe about four inches thick? Oh, my God. It weighs 27 pounds. Yeah, I felt bad. They brought it up to the interview, and it was they had to bring it on its own handcart and use an <laughs> elevator. Well, while at the con, J.W. Rensler and Les Dilly sat down to talk to me about Star Wars Blueprints, the book, as well as some of the history behind these blueprints. And we are here at New York Comic Con with Les Dilly, Academy Award-winning art director for Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, so many more films we're going to get into. And J.W. Rensler, Star Wars author who's been with us before, executive editor at Lucasfilm, mind behind such books as Making of Star Wars, Making of Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars Frames, and Star Wars The Blueprints. Welcome, sirs. Welcome. Um, thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> now, Les, for those who aren't familiar with your work since you haven't been on our show before, your resume is absolutely incredible, sir. You have done so many films that just shape my view of cinema from not just Star Wars and Empire, but Alien, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, American Werewolf in London. So what is the role of an art director on these films? Um, it's the same on all the films, really. Um, and by the way, I, I just think that I've been extremely fortunate in the films I ended up working on. And uh, the fact that they were successful and uh, it's made, you know, made my job even better than it really is in the, really is in the, in the start, you know. Um, and what, the question was, what's, what does an art director do? Well, you're, um, as opposed to being production designer, the production designer would be overall responsible for the look of the film, and he has, uh, usually has one, two, or three more people like art directors, like myself, work, depending on the size of the film, looking after s sets and locations um, for him, because he has to supervise over it, all over it. And it's to do with everything that's seen other than the actors. That means to say all the action props, the sets, the you know the locations they have to find, etc. And and to make everything that goes within those sets, whether it be um, R2D2 or C3PO or everything else, and the speeders and the sand crawlers and what have you. And on, in the studio, of course, you're, you're building sets that are huge. Now, did your work on Star Wars, because of the sci-fi nature, differ appreciably, or was working with George Lucas different than working with the other directors, Ridley Scott or Steven Spielberg? Um, no, I think, generally speaking, the work is the same, irrespective of what the genre is, except in this case, of course, with Star Wars, it was major science fiction, uh, you know, and pretty unique, certainly with the first one, um, and uh, it, it had a lot more to, 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 to be responsible for and to de develop, you know, new stuff like R2-D2 and uh, C-3PO and everything else was all in a development phase for the initial Star Wars film. So it was a difference in that, in that area, especially. And that brings us right to Star Wars The Blueprints, the book we're here to talk about today. What role do blueprints play in this type of art production, and how did you become involved with this book? Uh, me personally, with the book, I've just become involved through, through Jonathan, who's um, produced it and wrote it, and um, he asked me to, you know, come on the panels with him, and I was very, very willing to do it. So that's—I I just saw the book uh, what a week ago, 
at my home, and uh, I was so it's so brilliant this book. If anybody likes architectural drafting, engineering drafting, and artwork generally, they need to buy this book. <laughs> it's just a, a fantastic piece of. Uh, um, journalism in the first place and putting a book together. I mean, it really is outstanding. And you will see some of the work behind all the things that are famous um, that are done by people on most films but never get to, nobody gets to see any of it except in the final uh, product of the piece of set or whatever it's a prop or whether it's a, a droid or you know whatever it might be this is where you get to see where it all came from now jonathan i know that some people who've heard about this book get it kind of confused with the cross sections book or the owner's guide to the millennium falcon so for those who don't know can you tell them what this book really encompasses yes yeah, so you really have to see this book to believe it i mean because everybody who we show it to says wow i i, I saw it on the internet i i knew it was big but i know it was this big because <laughs> we wanted to do the blueprints the technical drawings justice and they're you know these things are usually about four by six feet sometime or three by four feet so what they are is it's nothing to do with the dk books at all none of the dk books not the blueprints books these are the technical technical drawings would probably be a better word for them it's the it's the stage where the concepts whether they're from the concept artists or from the production designer or of the sets and they were basically this is this is the the bible in terms of production that comes out of the art department and explains to all the other departments what they're going to have to do from the construction department and the uh, plasterers department the carpentry department i mean paint department and so what we wanted to do was, was show the artistry that goes into these drawings and which are usually like les says never seen and only a, only a film that's as popular as star wars Will will have uh, will generate enough interest from the fans and everybody to take a look at this very crucial stage of filmmaking. And that leads me well into the next question: Is I can't imagine that every film would have this level of detail in architecture. Obviously, fantasy and sci-fi, where you're creating so many otherworldly things more than maybe dramas. But is this a fairly common practice in film pre-production? Oh yes, uh, it's Leslie speaking again. Um, it, it's the, the normal way to go about filmmaking, whether it be a, a huge film or a small film. You have to start with this basic work of drawing everything that's going to be seen, you know, or you want to be seen. Sometimes it's not made because it's cost prohibitive, or you know, it's um, you know time constraints. You can't get it done in the time. But uh, generally speaking, um, this is what you have to do. You have to draw the, the, everything that's talked about in the in the in the script, and you go from there. And uh, so it's it's the same for all movies. But of course, Star Wars is a major exception because of the type of things that were created within the script. You know, just very, very unusual stuff. But obviously it became household words, you know, like R2-D2 and C-3PO. Everybody knows who they are. And, uh, you know, but in, in, in reality, it started from a blank sheet of paper with Ralph McQuarrie doing some sketches and then people like myself and the other, all the other great guys in the art department back in England who um, drew it all up. And working off of McQuarrie's original paintings, 
there were obviously changes from the paintings to the blueprints. Were those because you had more of an engineering mind and you were going with what could be actually built versus a more artistic view? Well, um, yeah, it's, certainly it, it's evolved around what all, and all the problems that are attached to things like R2-D2 and C-3PO. Um, you have to, uh, you know, iron those problems out as you go along. As far as the engineering standpoint is concerned, you do them from a visual standpoint to start with, and then in R2-D2's case, obviously there's a lot of mechanical effects in within his body. Things, um, moves, things are moving out and opening out, and his head's turning around. Uh, and in, in the initial days when we you know, were developing it, it was all done by... Kenny Baker would be inside, and he'd rotate his head. But later on, when it was became, you know... Uh, we had more time and more money. It was developed where it had r remote controls for it, you know. So, and then C-3PO was more of a problem. Norman at that time, Norman Reynolds, was developing C-3PO, and I was developing R2-D2 um, when R2 was um, just a, a cardboard cylinder, you know, with a little guy inside. But Norman had the problem of... Uh, putting this armour plating around uh, an actor and uh, who we didn't have it initially, so we had to get somebody who was about the right size. Um, and all the problems attached to that with moving your arms and collisions with pieces underneath the armpits and the elbows. And so the actual physical making of it may have changed the shape and size of the um, armour, for want of a better word. Um, uh, but um, only the minimal amount that we needed to do, or Norman needed to do, it was a problem, you know, because they do collide. You know, it's like the guys, the knights in armour, you know, riding on the back of their horses, you know. It's, but, you know, it's, uh, he was walking around all the time and completely masked in, of course. And um, it was, it was a pro both of them were a handful to deal with. And is that the changes you made at the blueprint stage? Because in the trailer, which you can view online, and we'll have a link to that at our website, it's astounding how you have the blueprints and then you overlay the actual prop, and it is identical to what you had. This is true. The sizes and the shapes didn't change much, you know, but there, may, there were things that, little things that, as I said before, may have changed in the armor, you know, to allow the movement of the arms and elbows, fingers and everything else. Um, so, it, no, it, it, um, it was, you know, they were de both developed with loyalty to the original sketches and illustrations. Now, Jonathan, how did the idea for this book come about? Uh, the, uh, the idea came about when I was working in the Lucasfilm archives on the making of Empire at Skywalker Ranch, and I was just going through all the artwork there for Empire, and there was a project employee who kept calling me over who was unrolling the blueprints for the first time in you know, several decades and saying, oh, look at this, this is great, and he was cataloging them, and then, which had never been done before. And uh, so I thought I thought I'd make a good book. So I, you know, took some convincing. Took about a year of talking to people and convincing them. And then the publisher came out, saw the actual blueprints, and said, "Yeah, this is going to make a great book, but we we'll have to do a giant book in order to do the justice, do justice to these wonderful drawings." And then I went through and got more archival photographs and had the great pleasure of, of talking to people who I really hadn't spoken to that much because, because like. 
these, these are the unsung heroes of, of, the, of making films in general, and Star Wars in particular. So I got to talk to Les... Uh, Roger Christian, who was the set dresser on Star Wars, and then second unit director on Jedi and Episode One, and Gavin Bouquet, and Norman Reynolds, and Peter Russell, and Peter Childs, who was the very first draftsman, yeah. Fred Hull, who was an incredible draftsman, and, and a few other people as well. And uh, that's how it all sort of came to be. And it was quite challenging because we didn't have that much time. Given how you've talked before about how some things in the archives decay were the blueprints all in fairly good condition or had they they're in fairly good condition yeah because as as les says they you have to keep good care of them because yeah, yeah. you know it's a normal thing at the end of a movie for a production designer to uh, collect all the drawings that um, have been made by numerous talented people um, on all films and send them back to the production company offices so that you can always return to them because and this is a classic case of course we had um, sequels and you know more sequels um, and you, uh, the sets were a lot of the sets were the same so you needed the drawings again you know, they didn't, rather than do them, start start drawing them. Well, there were always new stuff. I'm sure in you know, Jedi and the others, the, the the last three that have been made, there's new stuff to be drawn up. But generally speaking, it's you need the ones you started with to be in good shape. You know, and time flies, of course. And I know there are some blueprints from the prequels in here as well. In the digital age, is the drafting process significantly different? Well, to me personally, um, of films I've done of late, I've had both, you know, the hand drawing, you know, you know, regular drafting with T square, set square, and pencil. Uh, I like, I still like that very much, and it, and it gives a lot more feeling to drawings than you ever get from a computer. Um, it's pretty sterile computer drafting, by comparison, and um, uh, whilst you can do great things with it, and um, but on the other hand, there's nothing quite like the personal stuff that's put in with the, the you know, the um, pressure on pencils just alone as you draw a line on something like, you know, uh, R2-D2 or C-3PO, the accentuating the, 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 uh, the overall feel of the, the character or the set or the wall or the door or whatever you want to do you can do it a lot easier with pencil and paper and like an artist who does sketches you know it's that kind of thing but with for example the r2d2 you if it was cgi you wouldn't have to worry about the arm movements and things you could draw anything right yeah but you could i mean r2 was drawn up by hand you know uh, perfectly and you know uh, and worked very well so there's there's I mean, it's not there's not much of an argument for me. The only thing, except the big um, advantage to me, is that if you change something, on the, you can change it a lot easier on the computer than you can on, the, on a drawing board, generally speaking, because you have to start either redraw or erase, and then, you know, normally draftsmen really quickly redo it again from scratch. Okay, well, Tracy. thank you very much for your time. This is a yeah. great book. People really should try to see it yeah. in person if they can. Yeah, it's they enormous. should. Yeah, because it's a sight for sore eyes, the, the beautiful artwork in this book. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks to Les and JW. Much appreciated. Always good to talk to Mr. Rinsler again. And Les, it was just such an honor to speak to you. 
And this Blueprints book, listeners, if you're filling out your Christmas list right Mm-mm. now, you want to put this on it because there are some good deals on this book. Now, I know it's not the signature edition. If you're kind of like me and you always go for the signature edition, then that's going to be $1,000 straight from the publisher. But the regular edition is priced at 500 it's 450 or you can get it down to about 425 from Amazon. And if you do a little bit more looking, you can find it down around the 370 price point at langtoninfo.com. This thing deserves to cost that much. It does. First of all, not only is it huge, but it's got a lot of things in there, just like the schematics and the blueprints for everything. And it was really great when, after you'd interviewed Les Dilly, and he was just going through it and watching him reminisce about the different things. It was just an awesome book. And we will have a review of this coming up on a later show, but really amazing. So thank you to those guys for sharing their time and the book with me. Now, they also did a panel presenting on the Star Wars Blueprints, and Republic Forces Radio Network's Jen was there. She and her husband, Dabid, attended this con. And here are their thoughts from New York Comic Con. Hey everybody, it's Jen from Republic Forces Radio Network, and this weekend I got to go to New York Comic Con with my husband, Dabid. Hey guys. This is actually our fourth Comic Con. Last time we went was in 2009, and this year there were some problems with crowding. There's actually problems with crowding every year that we've had. It's kind of a problem with the layout of the Javits Center in New York City. It's got a lot of pinch points where there's some bottlenecking going on, and a lot of the volunteers seem to panic when they see a lot of people crowding. But this year, there were some problems. This is actually not the worst we've ever seen it. When we were there in 2009, the last time, they actually had to shut down one of the floors that had all the panels on it because it had reached the maximum capacity uh, allowed by the fire marshal. So we're doing better this year than the last time. We got to go to a couple of panels that Arnie and Marjorie didn't get to go to. The most exciting one was the Delray panel. We got to see a lot of stuff with them. At the panel, we had editors Frank Parisi and Eric Schroen-Weiss, and two writers, Drew Carpatian of the Darth Bane books and Jason Fry, who wrote The Essential Atlas. There were a lot of different books that they discussed, and we're not going to be able to talk about all of them because we would just end up taking an hour like the whole panel did. But some of the highlights, the first book that we got to see was is going to be coming out very soon. It's the Old Republic book, the tie-in to the game that's coming out. Uh, it's about Darth Raven. It's coming out on November 15th. It's by Drew Carpatian, and it details the tales that occurred to Darth Raven during his disappearance in the Knights of the Old Republic games, and it basically continues and completes his character's story. It ties into the new MMO game that's going to be coming out, and from what the author said, it gives a lot of information about the Sith Empire and information on how actually Raven turned to the dark side originally. So the crowd was really excited to see that one, and I think that'll be exciting to read. So November 15th, that's coming out. One of the books that I'm most excited about that's coming out is Darth Plagueis by James Gusino. At the show, they exclusively released the back cover art for the book, which shows a picture of Darth Maul and also has the slogan for the book, which is something along the lines of, can he be the only one who never died? And this book is going to tell about among other things, Darth Maul's backstory and how Darth Sidious found him. The book is also obviously going to talk about Darth Plagueis himself and how he apprenticed Darth Sidious. 
Um, they described it on the panel as being freaking evil, and the book is going to be very dark and visit a lot of new planets that we have not seen before in the expanded universe. In addition, there's going to be re-releases of Darth Maul's Shadowhunter and Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, coming out in December and January. And each of those is going to have a new Darth Maul short story included by James Lucino that's going to play into both what's happening in the Clone Wars with Darth Maul as well as the Darth Plagueis novel. And Darth Plagueis is scheduled to come out on January 10th. One of the other books that's coming out is going to be a Millennium Falcon Haynes Owner's Manual, which I thought was really cool because it's basically laid out like a car owner's manual. Um, they didn't give us a lot of information about it. They just showed us the cover, which has kind of a technical drawing of the Millennium Falcon itself. But it sounds really cool. So hopefully we'll get to see more of that coming up. That's coming out January 1st, 2012. The next book they talked about is probably my favorite of their group. It's The Essential Guide to Warfare by Jason Fry. That's coming out May 22nd of 2012, which is a ways away, but it sounds really cool. It's the same kind of concept as The Essential Atlas, which is... As Jason Fry said, this book is the history of the galaxy told through battles and military strategy. Uh, it's got ship details, fleet information. Um, it also has strategy maps, artwork depicting battles, things like that. It goes over a lot of information, and it also has vignettes from different character points of view. So there's a Lando vignette, there's vignettes about female stormtroopers, of all things, coming in there. There's a story about a Darhan cyborg that the crowd went crazy for. And there's a lot of other things. A theocracy at the very beginning of the galaxy who nearly brought it to a demise. And there's also supposedly going to be some interesting information on Mandalorian history that bridges the gap between the Mandalorians we knew and loved to the Clone Wars version pacifist Mandalorians that he said was very interesting to write. So this sounds like it's going to be really cool. I have to wait a bit to get to it, but I can't wait. Another really exciting thing we learned about the Essential Guide to Warfare is that there's going to be a vignette told from the point of view of a veteran stormtrooper from the Battle of Endor that's going to depict a darker, more vicious illustration of the Ewoks. And if you've ever wondered about those stormtrooper helmets that we see at the end of Return of the Jedi, where they're empty, we're going to be able to see now that apparently the Ewoks brutally killed and ate the stormtroopers that those helmets came from. And there's also going to be some vicious and violent artwork of the Ewoks uh, shown in the book, apparently. So that essential guide is going to be very interesting. The next book they talked about was the last installment of the Fate of the Jedi series, Apocalypse, which is going to be coming out on April 3rd, 2012. They said that this is going to be the best book that Troy Denning has ever written and that it emotionally grabs hold and doesn't let go of you and that this series really pays off big time in the end. They thought that it was a lot more satisfying of a conclusion than Invincible was to the Legacy of the Force series. In addition, they debuted the back cover art of the book, which is Jaina Solo and Jagged Fell, with Jaina Solo dressed as a Jedi and Jagged Fell dressed in his Imperial outfit. The last few books they gave us very little information on, uh, mostly just titles and release dates and the authors, but some of them sounded really interesting. Coming up in August of 2012 is going to be The Essential Reader's Companion by Pablo Hidalgo. And a little anecdote, apparently Pablo is rereading the entire set of all Star Wars novels to brush up for this book. So apparently it's been pretty grueling for him. 
The next one is also coming out in August of 2012 is a new X-Wing book. It's X-Wing Mercy Kill by Aaron Alston. So anybody who's fans of that is going to be pretty excited. Um, it includes some Fate of the Jedi follow-up information. But that's really all they were able to give us at that time. The last book that's going to be coming out in maybe summer of 2012, they're not sure yet, is the Lost Tribe of the Sith book. It's going to include all of the little vignette novella type stories from the Lost Tribe of the Sith uh, by John Miller. So those are going to be coming out very soon. They also had two new announcements that no one has talked about yet. We don't have any titles or anything. They're this new. One is going to be a new Timothy Zahn novel. It's a Han Solo book in the new classic era. Basically, it's a Han Solo adventure of some sort. We don't know anything else. Apparently, uh, Timothy Zahn pitched it to Del Rey at San Diego Comic-Con, so it's that recent. The next book is apparently a new Old Republic novel by Drew Karpishin. This book is going to um, involve a lot of information from the game itself. It doesn't have a title yet, but it's still supposedly going to be accessible to people who, like me, have not played any of the games and don't really have time to play the games. So it's... Sounds pretty exciting. The crowd went crazy for it, but we don't really have any information. There's not even a title or really a concept yet. So that'll be coming out in fall of 2012. There was also a short question and answer session that occurred after the information where we learned a couple more new things. I got to ask about the second book of the Imperial Commando series and if there was any update on that, but they said that there's no information at all about it at this time. Someone else asked if there were going to be any more book or comic tie-ins like Knight Errant, and it was revealed that actually Del Rey has a meeting scheduled to speak with Dark Horse in another month, and it's very possible that there will be more tie-in novels and books in the future. And Drew Karpishin also revealed that he's interested in going back to the Darth Bane and Darth Xana series and would love to do a fourth book if his schedule permits. So that's pretty much all there was at the Delray panel. The other panel we got to go to was the Star Wars Blueprints panel. And it had both J.W. Rinsler and Les Daly uh, right at the panel. It was really small or not too many people there, but it was really exciting because they got to show a lot of pictures and stuff out of the book. Star Wars Blueprints is very limited. It's about 5,000 copies. It's going to be releasing actually this week. So it's kind of expensive, but it's really, really cool. They have all the technical drawings out of the original concept information. Uh, the drawings in there included uh, everything from the Lars Homestead to the Millennium Falcon to Luke's land speeder, all kinds of stuff. They actually gave away at the panel a blueprint of a portion of the Darth Vader meditation sphere on the ship from Empire Strikes Back. And I almost won that, actually. I was a little bit slow to raise my hand. I would have gotten that. But they also gave away, one of the other things was a print of R2-D2 technical drawing. And we were actually able to get one and have it signed by both J.W. Rinsler and Les Daly. And we're going to be giving it away to a lucky listener. So all you have to do is post something in the thread titled Ewoks Ate My Sergeant. And if you get it in between now and November 1st, you'll be entered into a drawing to win the print. And the lucky winner, you'll have to tune in to a future episode to see who won. But if you do, we'll mail that to you. So those were our thoughts on New York Comic Con. And with that, we'll hand you back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Jen. 
Now, the last thing we have is a little preview of Celebration 6. There was a Celebration 6 booth there where you could have your picture inserted into, like, the Tantiv and two other scenes. It was just, like, you know, the green screen photo kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was free. You actually got a little 4 by 6 and then you could go onto the website and print out your own picture. So it's not like before at Celebration where you got the nice 8 by 10 in a frame. But the neatest thing was there was a preview shirt. Yes, we'd seen this before. But they were selling it here at the con. It's the Bith, and it says, we're getting the band back together. Yeah. Star Wars Celebration 6. It whetted my appetite to know that it's less than a year away. And, yeah, there's going to be more Hallmark keepsake ornaments in yes. Celebration 6. So that ups their exclusivity I next never year. thought I'd collect Hallmark stuff. Especially hardcore like this. Yeah. And... It means that Hasbro will have to spread out their reveals some more and things, but come on, it's celebration. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It is like getting band back together. It really is, because I cannot wait to see the gang who, even we staff of Star Wars Action News, only get together in mass at mm -hmm. celebration. And yeah. man, we talk to each other so much, but we only get to see each other that once every three years or now once every other year. Yeah. So. Oh, looking forward to it. Read Pop. You know, New York Comic Con was much larger than Star Wars Celebration 5, much yeah. larger than C2E2. Those guys know how to run a con. This one, I think, just got real big real fast. Yeah. Well, that's our show for this week from New York Comic Con. Next week, Marjorie and I are going to be a little bit jet lagged. We had some fun in New York. Yes, we had a little bit too much fun. So, Republic Forces Radio Networks. Dan and Jerry will be hosting Star Wars Action News for us next week, but we will be back in two weeks with more Star Wars collecting. So have a great week and be nice to Dan and Jerry. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News book club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com, HansHideout.Blogspot.com, and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. 
The Star Wars Action News Team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated.